hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud. And America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm in clinic today, but in between patients. And I wanted to issue this quick report to the country and the world on what's going on in this rapidly uh, evolving uh, biological, biopharmaceutical crisis that we've been in for the last three years. Uh, this week, President Biden, a month early, has ended the emergency use declaration for the country. And we anticipate the HHS um, emergency, uh, medical emergency will be dropped as well. This is good news, I think, as a signal, particularly for those who wanted just to return to normal and these uh, various COVID restrictions that still may exist at work, school, or elsewhere, to have them get out of our lives. Uh, certainly dropping the national emergency is a step in the right direction. People are really wondering why, why did this happen early? There's conjecture that it may have to do with uh, various implications at the border in terms of crossing the border and um, other forms of COVID restrictions. We still haven't heard about um, dropping the need for uh, testing of people outside the United States, coming inside the United States, and uh, FDA Commissioner Califf has already said that this won't change uh, the vaccine. So the emergency use authorization of the vaccines continues without any national emergency. I think we all should uh, take note of that and I think be um, uh, really kept at ill-ease regarding this emergency use of products when emergency doesn't exist. Now, I want to turn my attention to my Substack Courageous Discourse, give you a quick update uh, this week. Uh, I have a, a paper out uh, titled Countermeasures for Marburg Virus Disease and wanted to remind you that one of the multiple threats that our U.S. government uh, keeps track of on the PREP Act website is Marburg. Marburg is a filovirus. It is a virus in the same family as Ebola. Uh, it, there have been uh, sporadic, very limited outbreaks since the 1960s. Uh, it is highly fatal, particularly in underdeveloped African countries where it causes a form of a severe hemorrhagic fever. Uh, most of the fatalities, it would be my inference, are due to poor hospital care and support measures. Uh, people have asked regarding treatment, and in the paper I highlight uh, in this substack, there is a, a publication uh, by first author um, Korta Peter, and the title of the paper is Marburg Virus Disease, a Summary for Clinicians. And it lists in the evidence table uh, both therapies and vaccines. Now, the vaccines, I think, are, are far off, and I wouldn't look towards vaccines uh, to treat a sporadic and limited illness. When there's outbreaks, it's a matter of several hundred, certainly not tens of thousands. The antivirals uh, are in development. There's several of them that are promising. One is called um, uh, Galadesivir, uh, which is from BioCris Pharmaceuticals in Durham, North Carolina. There is a um, phosphodianamate uh, uh, oligomer, 
which looks uh, potent, potentially intriguing. This would be a form of a genetic treatment, AVI-7288 by Sarepta Pharmaceuticals. But what's ready to go on the, um, on the market right now is Favipiravir, and that's marketed by Toyama Chemical Company in Japan. It's used for influenza and for COVID in Japan. It was modestly effective against COVID, but it's well-tolerated oral drug. That could be mobilized quickly. And then not in this paper, uh, where there's a theoretical basis that it would have an effect would be hydroxychloroquine. So I think favipiravir and hydroxychloroquine would be the initial go-to drugs until we had some of these others available. I would not look towards uh, vaccines just given the development uh, timeline and the, the fact that you know t- adequate targeting uh, it couldn't be done. Uh, uh, other important uh, notes in the Substack um are uh, coming uh, regarding COVID-19 vaccine. And just to give you um, uh, one more uh, uh, paper on the on the pandemic, Nushida and colleagues reported a case in the journal Legal Medicine. And the title of the case is uh, A Case of Fatal Multi-Organ uh, Inflammation Following COVID-19 Vaccination, a 14-year-old girl take shot one, shot two of Pfizer, gets progressively sick with each shot, then on the booster develops this horrendous uh, multi-organ system inflammatory disorder. Her sister said she was having trouble breathing that night and she was dead the next day. Autopsy shows the organs are just absolutely destroyed with inflammation. So the point is, uh, parents, uh, be vigilant here. Uh, The children have no medical necessity, no clinical indication, and when they get sick, it's not stoppable even in really well-developed countries like uh, Japan. Elsewhere promising on COVID was the VIZIR trial, V-I-Z-I-R trial, that was done in Tunisia, recently reported prospective randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial. Ben Abdallah is the first author published in the the, uh, Clinical Infectious Diseases Journal by the IDSA. Twice-daily oral zinc, 25 milligrams twice a day, uh, in those uh, who receive zinc, 231 patients versus placebo. This is a range of COVID patients from uh, outpatients to sicker inpatients. Bottom line is 42% reduction in the um, composite outcome of ICU admission or death. And uh, the numbers were uh, significant. Um, you know, uh, 10.4% uh, primary outcome in the zinc group and 167 in the placebo group. The other therapies used uh, were relatively unimpressive um, combinations, dexamethasone, antibiotics, acetaminophen, uh, vitamin C, and anticoagulants, really no mention of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, which are the the wonderful drugs to combine with zinc. But the fact that we see a positive signal with zinc reinforces the fact we're on the right track with the color protocol, which is the AAPS. Uh, Didier Rialt, uh, Matthew Milan uh, protocol from uh, Marseille, the original Zelenko protocol and the FLCC protocol all featured zinc, zinc important in the treatment of COVID-19. Start early and with this uh, study to kind of further support what we're uh, doing. Also on the COVID front is a paper by Kip and colleagues summarizing the clinical trials of monoclonal antibodies and prospective comparative data, where in the highest risk patients like immunocompromised patients, there was a 55% 
reduction in hospitalization and death, but all groups benefited. Monoclonal antibodies, always safe and effective. The problem is they were progressively taken off the market for theoretical concerns, never given their full utilization. Monoclonal antibodies should have been administered to every sick patient in the emergency room to give them a chance of survival in the hospital. And I think anybody listening to this ought to take a careful look at loved ones and did they receive monoclonal antibodies before they went into the hospital? Because that, if they didn't, that is a breach in the standard of care. I'll finish with uh, an important paper that's receiving a lot of press out there. And this has to deal with the Chinese discovery and uh, demonstration of putting a restricted base pair, 275 base pair uh, code for the receptor binding domain of the spike protein and getting it to stabilize the messenger RNA into a exosome derived from cow's milk. So they took cow's milk, they were able to make an exosomes, get the uh, small piece of messenger RNA to stabilize, and then actually give it to mice over three administrations, several weeks apart, and the mice developed immunity to the receptor binding domain of the spike protein proof that the messenger RNA is being absorbed across the mammalian gastrointestinal tract. It must get across the gastrointestinal epithelial lining into the lymphatic tissue in the bloodstream. So indeed, messenger RNA can be consumed and actually get through the GI tract. And many are alarmed at this. There's now a Missouri bill being pursued by attorney Tom Rents to begin to get messenger RNA either out of the food supply or have heavy warnings on the food supply because now it's been shown that ingestion of messenger RNA in fact can get into the human body. We've got a terrific program uh, for you this week. We focus on the uh, Sovereignty Coalition with lead attorney Reggie uh, Littlejohn and I'll let the second half of the McCullough Report lay all that out to you and why it's so important to get behind Sovereignty Coalition to preserve our health freedoms in the United States and worldwide. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Do you know there's no other condition that I'm aware of where vitamins and supplements make such a big difference than COVID-19? We have a, an abundance of data that we need to be replete with a variety of micronutrients, and that includes vitamins, minerals, and other substances our bodies need. I rely on Healthy Cell Super Boost. That's Immune Super Boost. It's a, a gel pack that can be taken every day. I like to do it before I exercise and before I go out. It's a wonderful supplement. It gives me the Immune Super Boost that I need. Go to HealthyCell.com, use the promotional code OUTLOUD, 
and get a discount on your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the microphone for the first time on the show, Reggie Littlejohn. Reggie received her bachelor's degree from Westland University and then went on to the prestigious Yale School of Law and received her JD. Later on in life, she actually went to Yale Divinity School and received a master's in divinity. And she has a unique position in this world as it relates to civil liberties and religious freedoms, interpretation of this great controversy that we are in from a uh, from a, 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 a Christian perspective. And I've asked her to come on the program uh, to give us some general thoughts uh, from her vantage point about the pandemic response and have her announce to our audience a big initiative on what can be done constructively to get us on the right track. Reggie, welcome to the McCullough Report. Oh, it is such an honor to be here, Dr. McCullough. Um, so you are one of my great heroes. So I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Well, I can tell everybody that uh, Reggie is particularly well positioned outside. Uh, she's on her palatial estate oh, and uh, getting some vitamin D. I'm in the clinic wearing a lab coat right now, uh, still wrapping it up. Uh, but she's been gracious enough to accept this interview. Reggie, can you give us a, a bit of an outline of, about what you do in your day-to-day -day life uh, through the course of the pandemic and, and what's been your reflections from your vantage point on the, uh, on the crisis and the pandemic response? And then we'll get into your big initiative. I am uh, the president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers. And as an attorney in the mid-90s, I represented a couple of refugees in their cases for political asylum in the United States. The first one, one of them was forcibly sterilized under the one-child policy. Um, and I mean, like she was literally dragged out of her home and held down to a table and they performed the operation with no anesthesia. She was permanently disabled after that. Um, and that's when I found out that China's one-child policy was enforced through forced abortion, forced sterilization, and infanticide. So I have been, I, I founded um, Women's Rights Without Frontiers to fight for against forced abortion and also the sex-selective abortion of baby girls. And in the course of doing that, I, I became very familiar with Chinese-style totalitarianism, how it works. And when I saw what was happening in the United States and worldwide in, in connection with um, our freedoms being abrogated in terms of the COVID-19 response, especially the promulgation of the uh, vaccine passports, which could give rise to the same platform as the China social credit system digitally, uh, I just decided that, that this was like the biggest issue of our time. And so then I co-founded with Frank Gaffney um, an organization called the Stop Vaccine Passports Task Force. This was a, a long time ago, a couple of years ago now. Um, and that that is still, the Stop Vaccine Passports um, Task Force is alive and well. We continue, we have the best set of webinars, I think, of anyone 
um, in the world. You've been, you appeared on one of them, Dr. McCullough, dealing with uh, what we call the digital gulag uh, that would happen if we had these, these mandatory digital IDs and combined them with a central bank digital currency. Uh, that's something we can discuss later. Uh, but as the um, pandemic response progressed, um, and as we saw the World Health Organization considering two different instruments, one is amendments to the uh, international health regulations, the other one is a brand new pandemic, they call it an instrument, an accord, um, an agreement, a convention, they won't call it a treaty because they don't want it to have to pass through the US uh, Senate or anybody else's uh, treaty uh, approval process. But between those two instruments, what we saw is that, um, that the WHO, with the collaboration of the Biden administration, at the behest of the United Nations and the Chinese Communist Party, is, is setting a trap for us. And that if we do not resist these um, agreements, and in fact, withdraw from the WHO, that's, that's what this coalition is about, we are gonna be trapped in a digital gulag and it will be virtually impossible to get out. And that's something also I would like to talk about, you know, in this interview, why I say that. So today we are launching, um, and again, this is a collaboration between Frank Gaffney and I, and also many, many other people. Um, so uh, for example, Michelle Bachman, um, Naomi, Dr. Naomi Wolf, um, and then Dr. Kat Lindley, Dr. Michael Bell. Um, I think you yourself, um, Dr. McCullough, are, are a, a co-signatory of this. Um, we are launching something called the Sovereignty Coalition to protect and restore, number one, US sovereignty, and number two, our, our personal medical sovereignty. So what I mean by that is that if these two pandemic instruments are are passed and i can go through what that what what entail how they would be passed if they are passed and if we are subject to them as the united states it will basically destroy our sovereignty as a nation in a number of ways one of which is that um the world health organization has has heretofore been able to um, issue what they call what have been non-binding recommendations that will change. They will become binding requirements so that they will have the authority if there is a pandemic in the United States or even under other circumstances, which we can go into, to tell us how to handle it. They could mandate to us and to all the other countries in the world that we have to have lockdowns, quarantines, max, mask mandates, and even forced vaccination. And that's where it gets into medical sovereignty, our own personal medical freedom that um, that if these if these agreements are are um, if these agreements pass, then the World Health Organization will be able to dictate what the treatments are. So Dr. McCullough, you more than anyone else know what happened when the World Health Organization was only an advisory body. They said, oh, there's no such thing as early treatment. Um, and they censored and, uh, you know, disciplined 
uh, doctors who said otherwise, and you being probably the foremost example of that. Um, so they would be able to do that, um, and it would be binding on, on all the doctors in the world. So doctors would not be able to prescribe what they think is best for their patients, including early treatment. And they would be forced to prescribe things that they might disagree with, like a, vac a so-called vaccination or other kind of gene therapy or whatever it is it is that the WHO is trying to, to push out. So we are urging people um, to go to uh, sovereigntycoalition.org. That is sovereigntycoalition.org. And, and, and number one, see our, um, you know, watch our launch of the Sovereignty Coalition. And then number two, to sign the Sovereignty Declaration, because we need tens of thousands and hundreds and millions of people to sign this to demonstrate to our government um, and to the WHO that we will not stand for this complete destruction of our national and personal sovereignty. So, Reggie, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, since there's so much there. Uh, the first is, uh, you know, digital gulag and, and your use of the term, you know, a gulag is a is a system of, of labor camps that was maintained in the Soviet Union, 1930 to 1955. Many people uh, died. It's been, you know, subsequently used as a, as a term for a, a political labor camp. Uh, what do you mean or how would you define a digital gulag? Okay. So we are using um, the word gulag, meaning imprisonment, and digital, meaning that you can be imprisoned digitally. You don't have to go to a physical gulag, like in you know Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. You don't have to be transported to Siberia and be you know mining rocks to be in a in, in a gulag. It can be done digitally, and this is how it's done. Okay. So this is, and this is how I originally got involved with this work was through um, the mandatory vaccine passport, which can also be called a digital health ID or an Excelsior pass, um, or actually any mandatory digital ID, like even a digital driver's license can support what is called China's social credit system. And this is the China connection. Like I said in the beginning, my 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 um, area of, of interest and expertise was China. But so in China, the social credit system works like this: it's the government surveils every single aspect of of your life, and it's all centralized into a central place that gives you a social credit score. Um, and if you have a high score meaning you never make any waves, you never question authority, you never disagree with the government, you pay all your taxes, you're just like like just somebody that they can count on to never resist them. You can have a high score, which means you can live a, a normal life. But if you have if if you resist the government, um if you do an internet search that they don't like, like if you do search for terms like Tiananmen Square or um free Tibet or something like that, your score will go down. What that will mean is you could lose your job. You, you could lose your um, ability to borrow money so you could not buy a home or start a business. Your kid will not get into a good school. You will lose your ability to travel. Um, and if you defy them even further, they will cut you off from your bank account and your, your credit cards so that you have no, no ability to pay your bills or do anything. 
then if you continue to defy them, if you are a true dissident, they'll just disappear you. So in the United States, we have all of the technology and in fact, um, all of these different aspects. So what this means in China, they surveil and in the United States, they could surveil, probably are surveilling your, um, you know, attach your digital ID is your, your medical history, your criminal history, where you live, where you work, facial recognition, real-time geolocation so they know where you are, who's in your network of relationships, all of your internet media, social media posts, your internet search history, your internet spending history, and all that's put together to give a, um, a, a and your bank account and your credit card, all that's put together to, to give a 360-degree view of who you are as a human being um, and whether or not you can be relied upon to just make no waves. And so if, 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 so if we have mandatory vaccine passports, which are being pushed by not only the WHO, but also the, the United Nations and the G20, um, and they don't have, and, or, or, or any mandatory international um, ID, doesn't have to be a health ID, but they're mostly pushing it as a health ID because health is like their pretext. Oh, we need to know, you know, if you're healthy. But but meanwhile, it could support this China social credit system. And if you combine that with um, a central bank digital currency, which is a whole other discussion, but I can get into it. If they don't like what you're doing, like they have some people haven't liked what you've been doing, you're, you know, <laughs> Dr. McCullough, some people don't like what I do. They could just cut us off digitally from our our bank accounts, our credit cards, our ability to travel, all of that. And, and utterly paralyze us. I mean, can you imagine what your life would be like if you had no access to your money? Things well, would implode very quickly. Right. Okay. Let, let, let's talk about how far we're down this road to begin with. So isn't it true that we all have a credit score? So we've been told that we can go online and, you know, check our credit score if we apply for, you know, to live in an apartment or to get a mortgage. Uh, that we have a credit score. So that integrates a lot of information, it integrates credit cards, student loans, medical bills, prior defaults. Uh, many of these also have a criminal search associated with it so we can figure out criminal activity. So, I mean, already that's pretty far down the line. People get uh, you know denied uh, applications to apartments, for instance, or to get a mortgage because of this. It, it, isn't this really an extension of what's already there? Yes. Yes and no. I mean, this is the thing that, that what you're talking about, the, the, the credit score is just what you said. It's an amalgamation of certain, you know, very specific, um, you know, financial parameters, um, plus your criminal history. I you know, I didn't know the criminal history was in there, but that would make sense in terms of somebody wanting to decide whether they're going to lend you money. Um, so yeah, so that's why you know we have this uh, a credit score, and so then they name this a social credit score, and people just go, oh well, it's just you know just like your credit score, we already have one. So what difference does it make? Well, it makes a huge difference because what your credit score will do is it it will make it so that you, if you have a bad credit score, it will make it so that you can't you know borrow money, but it will not sever you off of the money that you already have, right? So it, it won't make it so that you can't pay your bills because your bank account doesn't work or you can't go to the store and buy something 
um, you know, with your credit card because your, because your credit card doesn't work. And if you, and, and it's not just a picture of you, like how financially reliable are you, which is what your credit score is. It's a, it's a picture of you as a, as a human being. Basically, are you going with the flow or are you going against the flow? And people who go against the flow can be marginalized, penalized, and paralyzed as we saw in the trucker strike um, in Canada where you know the truckers were, they were protesting these vaccine mandates. So what did the, the Trudeau government do? They cut them off and they cut their donors off, even people who only given very little money, cut them off from their credit cards and their bank accounts. And it crushed the protest. Well, uh, under what circumstances right now, let's take the United States and then maybe some other countries. In the United States right now, under what circumstances uh, can the government or any other body freeze someone's bank account? <laughs> um, that is something that I, I, you know, that's sort of outside of my area of expertise. But you know, I, I would think that the United States would be able to freeze somebody's bank account, maybe if they were, um, you know, criminally criminal tax evaders or something. Um, I don't know. Well, I, mean, I mean, pretty clearly, there's processes for uh you, you know declaring bankruptcy and then you know having judgments applied and court orders and probably freezing bank accounts uh, in terms of um, international uh, conspiracies things of this nature you hear about bank accounts being frozen in cases of um, espionage or money laundering drug cartels uh, things of this nature but what you're suggesting is non-criminal activities. Oh, you're, right. su you're, you're suggesting that based on uh, in China, and I've been to China a bunch of times. I bet you have too, right? Have you been over there? I've been to China, but um, people ask me how often I go to China these days. And I say never because I'm one of the top people who's exposing the human rights atrocities of the Chinese Communist Party, which they would consider to be state secrets. So as far as they're concerned, I'm breaking their law. And the nicest thing they would do would be to send me back. Okay, then you can think of all kinds of things that would be not as nice as that if they caught me over there. Wow, but Reggie, if um, if we're kind of processing this, that someone in China right now, uh, if they um, participate in some activity that is considered against the Chinese Communist Party, let's say they, you know, have an anti-CCP. Uh, user group on the internet or what have you. Are you saying right now that decisions are made without due process and th they begin to to actually suffer financial penalties or lose access to, to what they have earned? Well, absolutely. And uh, so, and in terms of due process, something that people don't understand about China is that in the United States, we have a separation of powers. We've got the executive branch, the judicial branch, the legislative branch, separate, trying to do checks and balances on each other. In China, the judicial branch is part of the executive branch. So, so if some, if if the if the government wants to get somebody, the, and, and, and you know, it's it's just a kangaroo court. The, the judicial branch is going to convict them. They have like a ninety-nine point, I don't know what, nine percent conviction rate in their courts. Because the courts are just, just uh, you know, 
they are a, a branch of the executive branch and, and, and so there really isn't due process in China. Yes, they can be deprived of access to their funds without due process. Now, what, what makes you believe that in other countries they would move towards this lack of due process? Like, let, let's take the United States right now and, and say that we get into an anti-COVID-19 vaccine debate uh, on the internet or what have you. Uh, are you saying that, that we're inching closer to this idea that we, we would have no due process and things would happen to us in the United States? Okay, so the reason I think it could happen in the United States is that it already happened in Canada, right? I mean, they, they, those people didn't have due process. They got cut, cut off from their credit cards and their bank accounts just because they were protesting vaccine mandates. And so the reason that I think that this could happen in the United States is because of the content of these amendments to the international health regulations and also the pandemic treaty many of which um, in terms of the amendments, you know, the United States is not putting up any resistance to this and in fact is supporting them. So, um, so, so for example, the pro we're talking about amendments to the international health regulations, the most recent draft of which was 2005. So in the 2005 amendments, um, they were non-binding and the proposed amendments to these international health regulations makes them, they, they, it deletes the word non-binding and makes it so that the World Health Organization will be able to intervene, not only with he public health risks, but potential public health risks. And then language from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that, that is in the current 2005 draft, one of the proposals is that it be stricken. That language is that the implementation of these regulations shall be with the full respect for the dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms of persons. And it's just stricken. Okay, and replaced with mumbo jumbo. Um, we praise that, that with um, that these the implementation will be based on the principles of equity, inclusivity, and coherence, whatever that means. Um, so the United States is currently negotiating these, um, and and that's just the international health regulations. If you get into the the pandemic treaty, I'll call it what it is. It sets you know it. it I, on, on the zero draft of the of the treaty on page 24 it has a section called global surveillance that says that that um that the parties meaning the nations commit to uh strengthening multi-sectoral coordinated interoperable and integrated one health surveillance systems i mean this is a global surveillance system uh and one and what one health means dr dr mccullough it's 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 um, a term of art. I mean, it's it's defined, uh, and and what it means is basically that that all health is interconnected. So according to the CDC, One Health um, recognizes the interconnection between people, animals, plants, and their shared environment. So they would be surveilling not only people, but also animals, plants, and the environment. Basically surveilling every aspect of life on earth and it, and it goes on i mean I, I have so much more to say about this reggie this is uh, phenomenal we're gonna have to take a break uh, now uh, for the you know midpoint of the show but we've been talking to reggie littlejohn who's who's an attorney she is running a, a nonprofit organization and is deeply involved in uh 
what the World Health Organization is proposing for the world, and we're learning about it as, as this interview uh, uh, winds out and really starts to lay out exactly what's been happening. Let's take a pause right here, and we'll be back on the other side of the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We are deep into a discussion with Reggie Littlejohn, someone who I've met uh, I've had dinner with. We've had some fantastic conversations about the bigger picture of going on the pandemic. And I'm, Reggie, I'm blown away with these aspirations of the World Health Organization. In a sense, they they seem like they almost want world domination as it relates to health, and not only just health of humans, but the health of plants and animals. But what do you think is behind all this? Why why would the World Health Organization care? This idea of international health regulations, I mean, what are they regulating? Uh, hypertension, diabetes, obesity? But really, what are they after? Well, okay, so number one, the, the, these amendments to the um, world, to the international health regulations, it's not just about, about health like that, um, Dr. McCullough. It's not just about like the, the medical health of the human body, you know, diabetes, hypertension, cancer, COVID, um, as I mentioned in the last segment, it's also about animal health. It's also about plant health. It's also about the environment, but also in the, they, they could say that anything is um, a public health concern. They could say that gun violence is a public health concern. They could say that racism, they could say that depression, 
They could say that climate change. They could say that anything that they want to say is a public health concern. And one of the other things that, th that these proposed amendments would allow the World Health Organization to do is to come in and basically um, start directing a response to, or at least evaluating what's going on in a country without the consent of the country, all right? So, so again, this is why we're talking about our national sovereignty um, you know, possibly being destroyed. And, and I want to, I want to bring up something else that is very, very little known, um, Dr. McCullough, that I, I really need to get out. So I'm just going to bring it up right now. People say to themselves, oh, you know, that sounds terrible, but you know what? I'm not going to worry about it because it'll never pass the Senate. Well, it's never going to make it to the Senate. Okay. So Senator Ron Johnson, who, you know, um, has been very, very, you know, active and heroic on, on a variety of fields, especially, you know, giving voice to the vaccine injured. Um, he, he had a bill be, uh, because these, these agreements are not worded as treaties. They won't call them a treaty because they want to subvert the Senate process. Right. So he just had a bill saying, guess what? These need to pass through the Senate or at least the pandemic treaty does. And that bill was voted down. It was voted down by the U.S. Senate, straight down party lines. And um, and Senator Johnson tweeted out, this is about maybe 10 days ago, he tweeted out saying, it's sad to see that the Democrats don't care about our national sovereignty. That's what he said. And when you look at the way that that vote came down with party lines, you know, so, so we, we, we can't depend on the protection of the Senate. That's number one. And, and that's really disheartening. But then number two, something that almost no one knows about is that um, there's something called the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, which was passed on December 23rd of 2022. So it was the very end, two days before Christmas in the last Congress. And the, the act was 1,772 pages. And on page 950 of that act, there's something called the International Pandemic Preparedness Act of 2022. Who knew it was there? I think they had, I don't know how long, a day to read this thing. How many people read those 1,772 pages? I think most of Congress doesn't even know that this is here. But this International Pandemic Preparedness Act of, of 2022 contains the following language, all right? The U.S., it obligates the U.S. to comply, this is a quote, to comply with and adhere to, okay, and it has six categories. The first category is the international health regulations of 2005. It's got some other known treaties, but then here's the kicker. Number six category, the U.S. Is, 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 is obligated to comply with and adhere to other relevant frameworks that contribute to global health security. Other relevant frameworks that contribute to global health security. What's that? I mean, obviously it would include the, the, you know, the, the amendments to the international health regulations. That would be a relevant framework that contributes to global health security, arguably, and also the pandemic treaty, which at the time that this was passed, they were still in the negotiation stage. And also there's documents that haven't even been written yet, maybe not even conceived of yet, that when they pass, would, would constitute other relevant frameworks that contribute to global health security. So this is a complete wild card that was passed by the U.S. Congress. And that's why experts like Dr. Francis Boyle um, 
international law and treaty expert has said that uh, that that this NDAA has given carte blanche to the WHO to establish whatever it wants, and it's been pre-approved by the U.S. Congress. Now, why in the world would the Senate or Congress, why would they give up power? It seems like uh, bodies always, if anything, gravitate towards more power. They want oversight. They want to be able to approve or decline. What would motivate them uh, along party lines? It sounds like the Democrats want to relinquish power. Why would that be the case? Well, I mean, <laughs> that was, um, that's, that is the question. That is the question. Um, and the answer, in my opinion, is, is a very dark one. All right. Why would anyone want to relinquish power? It's got to be because they think they're going to get some more power in the end. And um, you have, you know, behind all of this, Dr. McCullough, is the Chinese Communist Party and the globalists, the global so-called elites. I don't think that they're elite in anything other than maybe their heartlessness and their, their megalomania. But, um, you know, Chinese Communist Party, global elites, they, they very much are, are um, directing things at the United Nations. The World Health Organization is a, an arm of the United Nations. They're also heavily involved with the World Economic Forum. In terms of the World Health Organization, um, the Director General, uh, Tedros Cabrasis, is, uh, I mean, the way he describes he's in, he's in bed with Xi Jinping, I don't like to think about that. But, um, you know, they, they, they just, you know, he's very heavily influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. And, um, and these guys, they must think that by um, giving up this power and allowing the World Health Organization to come in and direct things, um, that they're going to come out on the other side with even more money and more power somehow. And that's the only thing I can think of. And how that exactly works, I'm not sure. Do you think that um, that this is being coordinated uh, by the World Economic Forum out of out of Davos? I think that um, I think that there's a network of um, globalist supranational organizations of which the World Economic Forum is one of the foremost, possibly the foremost, but there's also the G20, there's also the United Nations, um, and, I, and I believe that they are acting in concert with each other uh, to bring this about. Because, you know, on the Democrat side and the Republican side, there are members of our House and Senate that attend Davos. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is there. Senator Coons, Kristen Sinema of Arizona, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Republican Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, you know, it keeps going, going. Mike Sherrill, New Jersey Representative, uh, J.B. Pritzker, Democratic Governor of Illinois, uh, and on the Republican side, uh, Florida Congressman Salazar, uh, uh, just extraordinary independence. Kristen Sinema's listed as independent. You know, there are 
people in the United States in leadership positions who are going to Davos. And, you know, in our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, John Leake and I outline this biopharmaceutical complex and we name who they are. We think it's the World Economic Forum, uh, the uh, the Gates Foundation, working with WEF, uh, CEPI, formed by Gates and WEF, Rockefeller Foundation, the um, the uh, Welcome Trust, World Health Organization, I think largely through the Chinese Communist Party, as you outlined it, CCP and the WHO are a power axis. And then they seem to have co-opted uh, houses of government all over the world and the regulatory agencies. This complex appears to be working as a syndicate and, and they have stated aspirations. Uh, what do you think about this? You know, Klaus Schwab, who leads the World Economic Forum in his book, The Great Reset, he said that COVID-19 crisis will be a limited opportunity to reset a new world order. Do, do you think that's really what they're trying to do is set a new world order? Uh, yes. <laughs> and and, and, and to, to just sort of expand on what you just said, uh, I, I think that there's a lot of people in our government and not just government, but media, um, education, et cetera, and in and, and publications that are, that are funded by big pharma and the CCP. And that can explain a lot in terms of how they vote. And it's not just people on the left. I mean, people on the right are also co-opted by this. Uh, so, so that would explain why they would go, go along with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you, you, you talk about a syndicate, uh, like Bill Gates, for example. Okay, so the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is one of the primary funders of the World Health Organization. Plus they have, it's either Sab, um, Gabby or Seppi, right? I don't know um, which one, but th both of those are, are, are medical vaccine related organizations um, that are that also are made. One of them is a major contributor to the World Health Organization. I mean, it's almost like um, between the, the World Health Organization used to be funded by countries for health reasons. And now it's funded by, um, you know, special interests that are vaccine related. And so they are more and more um, turning their attention towards vaccine kind of solutions. And what that does is it, it, it inserts a profit motive in the World Health Organization that does not belong there. You know, if, the, if, if, if Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and, and one of their other nonprofits is, is um, a major funder of the World Health Organization, and if that, if that nonprofit stands to make billions and billions of dollars from vaccines, then wow, surprise, surprise, if the World Health Organization mandates those vaccines. If, if these um, proposed agreements pass in their current form, the World Health Organization will have the power to mandate, not just suggest, mandate what, a health what our health response is going to be to whatever health issue that they perceive to be you know, the reason that they're intervening. And they could say, um, you, everybody has to be vaccinated. And we're not going to force you to be vaccinated. You know, we're not going to drag you out of your house and, and force a needle in your arm. What we're going to do is we'll just sever you from your bank account and your credit cards um, until you, you know, see the light. And then maybe when you're starving. But, but you know, they would absolutely have the, 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 the right to do this. And Dr. McCullough, I want to say also, um, central bank digital currencies 
are also rolling out simultaneous with, with this. So many countries in the world um, have a central bank digital currency that is either in the um, development stage or the research stage, or even has been rolled out. A few countries actually have, have rolled them out. Our own administration is in the is it's in the development stage. So people have to understand a central bank digital currency is a currency that is held by the central bank. Um, so in our case, it would be um, you know the treasury, and so you know it's it's programmable. What that means is that they can decide what you can spend it on and what can you, you cannot spend it on. So, for example, they could say, uh, you, you have not been vaccinated, so therefore you can't spend your money at all. Or they could say, um, you know, we're punishing you because you have been, you know, defying us in some way um, by maybe saying that there's early treatment or whatever it is that you're saying that is, that is in defiance, all right? Um, and therefore, you can't spend your money more than five five uh, miles from your home. Or they could say you already have used you know done a, one flight uh, this month, so uh, that was to the wedding of your friend. So now you can't fly again to, to go to the, the the funeral of your loved one because you already used up your carbon credits. I mean, it, it, and 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 it's way they will see not only every purchase that you make, but where you made it. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a recipe for complete surveillance and total control. And if you combine it with the, the social credit system from the, the, uh, vaccine, uh, passport, you know, digital health ID, that's what I mean by a digital gulag. And that's why we have to oppose it now, because once this is in place and it's coming quickly, you know, once, once this is in place, there will be no more dissent because as soon as you dissent, they'll just, they'll just paralyze you. By, by cutting you off from your credit card, your bank account, and in, in China, if you descend enough, they'll just, you know, disappear you. It sounds like a key to all this, though, is to making make cash currency go away or make the ability to accept cash currency go away because we're already digital. Do you have any idea of what percent of all transactions are already by credit card or ETF uh, uh, ACH transfer right now. Are we at some huge number that's already electronic? Right, right, right. So, so this is the thing that people need to understand. All right, right now, things are already digital mostly. All right, but it's not, it's not centralized into like the Federal Reserve. Okay, it's you know you can have any number of credit cards. Um, you can have a bank. You, you can do your banking anywhere you you want. Bitcoin is decentralized. It's digital, but it's decentralized. So what, what we're saying here is that because everything is so decentralized, it's very difficult to control and, and we can go ahead and transact, you know, however we want. But if it's all centralized in a central bank digital currency, that's where they can control you because you can't go anywhere else. And that's, and that's also combining with a cashless society. So you can't pay cash. You can't go to your grocery store and pay cash. But, but Reggie, doesn't that mean for that to happen, let's say in the United States, that means the entire credit card industry has to go away, right? The, the, your, your banking, all your banking, or are you envisioning a system where somehow the government has tentacles through all these different uh, you know, money exchange operations? Yeah, so this is the thing that's ironic, is that um, 
you know, that, that, <laughs> the, that, that, that our banks and our credit card agencies are actually, you know, hopefully going to be our allies in this struggle because, they, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to like uh, having a central bank digital currency. Um, it's funny to think of them that way. Uh, but that would be, that would be actually a hope that they would offer some resistance to this. Wow. This has been a fascinating conversation. Can you just in the last few minutes, again, summarize the initiative and tell our listeners where they can find it, learn more and sign on? Because I know I've already signed on. Okay. So this is the thing I want to say. The Senate is not going to protect us. They've already said they're not going to protect us. We, we can't just get stop this World Health Organization from passing its own uh, new rules. It's done at something called the World Health Assembly, which is once a year, and every country gets one vote. So the United States gets one vote out of 194 countries. So we can't stop that from, from happening. And I mean, the World Health Organization is not a US organization. So the only way that we can stop this from coming to our country is by withdrawing from the World Health Organization. People think that that's impossible. It's not impossible. President Trump already did it, okay? And then President Biden restored us. So this is the only way that we can stop this from happening. So we have launched the American Sovereignty um, Coalition uh, today, actually, and and uh, we I would urge everybody to go to so, um, sovereigntycoalition.org, sovereigntycoalition.org, and sign on, um, sign our declaration. We're hoping to get thousands, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of signatures, because that's the only way we're going to be able to show the political will, um, so that our our legislators will uh, take notice. And also, we would like. Um, everybody to make this in the upcoming election, make it a, 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 a central point of vetting candidates. What is your position on withdrawing from the World Health Organization? What is your position on stopping central bank digital currencies? So those are the action items. Reggie, thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Oh, thank you so very much for having me. It's been an honor. We'll put the, uh, the link in the program notes And we'll get this out to our listeners. You've been listening to the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.